Hello and welcome to episode 84 of True Crime Finland. Porvoon poliisiammuskelu. The Porvo police shooting. As the title already suggests, this is a true crime podcast and it details cases that can be of a disturbing and violent nature. Because of this, I encourage you to use your discretion and stop listening or skip ahead if you need to. If you're ready, let's get started. On the night between Saturday and Sunday, on the 25th of August in 2019, someone called the emergency exchange, reporting that there was a mass fight at a gravel pit. They asked the operator to send in a patrol unit. A police car arrived at the scene, but the officers did not see any signs of the reported fight and ended up leaving the pit. At 22 minutes past midnight on that same night, the same person made another call to the emergency exchange. This time, the caller reported a property offense in an industrial area in Porvo, located in southern Finland. The call was made from a phone without a SIM card. Speaking with a slight accent, the caller explained in Finnish that he had caught someone red-handed trying to steal his car and needed the police's help. He then specified that he was with his brother who had actually caught the thief and asked that the emergency exchange send over a patrol car. Towards the end of the call, the operator asked the caller to provide the number they were calling from because they could not see it in the system. The caller stated it was a new number and he did not remember it. It was the only phone they had with them too. After a few more questions, the operator told the caller she was sending in a patrol car and the call ended there. The task was forwarded to the Eastern Uusima police and two experienced officers headed to the scene. The 45-year-old was a senior constable while the younger, 35-year-old, was a police sergeant. The emergency exchange had told them the situation was currently calm and the two men were sitting on top of the offender to hold him while waiting for police to arrive. When the two officers got to the scene only about 10 minutes later at half past midnight, they soon realized this was far from a routine task. They first rolled down their window and asked the two men on the scene if this was the right spot. When one of them told the officers it was, they parked the patrol car nearby. As soon as the senior constable got out of the car, he was immediately grabbed, one of the brothers pointing a cold pistol at his head. They were holding him as hostage and using him as a shield against the other, younger police sergeant, 
who had by this point gone around the patrol car holding his gun. He backed off looking for cover while repeatedly ordering the two men to give up their weapons. If not, he would shoot. The men did not comply and instead threatened they would shoot the senior constable if he did not give up his gun. They were switching between holding the gun on the constable's temple and on his neck while yelling death threats. They kept demanding that the younger officer give up his gun. At this point, one of the brothers fired at least three shots towards the younger officer. One of the shots hit him in the arm, and he started backing off further away. Panicked, he yelled into the police radio, shouting, quote, I'm not dropping the gun. I'm not dropping the gun. I've been shot in the arm. He's holding a hostage. A lot of shots. I have to go back. End of quote. He was so far away back that he was no longer able to see his partner, the senior constable. He was extremely worried for him and was planning to go back to try to save him. The shots fired towards the younger officer had been fired from right next to the senior constable's head. He temporarily lost his hearing when the shots rang out. When he came to, he noticed that the two men had managed to get his gun, a Glock pistol. They were now threatening and ordering him to give up the location of the police's backups, submachine guns. When they started looking for the guns in the patrol car, the senior constable saw an opportunity and went for it, running off as fast as he could. At this point, both of the brothers fired several shots towards him while he had his back turned to them. When the first shot hit the officer in the back, he fell on the ground. A second shot hit him in the side. Luckily, he was wearing a bulletproof vest and managed to get up and escape despite being shot. Both of the officers were now injured. The younger officer had not seen what had happened, but he had heard five to six shots in quick succession. At this point, he was about to approach the situation again when the senior constable yelled into the radio that he had managed to escape, however, had been hit twice. The senior constable managed to find a lunch spot nearby that he had been to before. On the corner of the restaurant, using his flashlight, he was able to flag another police patrol. The patrol drove over and took both of the injured officers into an ambulance and to safety. Meanwhile, the two men stole one of the bulletproof vests in addition to the senior constable's pistol and escaped the scene. 
About two and a half hours after the initial emergency call, at 2.48, the police made an announcement according to which two officers had been shot at during a task and were injured. Dozens of police officers, as well as a special tactical unit, Karhoruhma, or the Bear Squad, had quickly descended to the scene of the shooting. The officers were heavily armed and were wearing protective gear, such as bulletproof vests. The search for the two men intensified as a helicopter flew overhead, roads were blocked, and cars leaving the portable area were stopped to be checked. At 10 in the morning on Sunday, the National Bureau of Investigation, or the NBI, made another announcement. This case was being investigated as two attempted murders of police officers from the eastern Osima district. The two suspects were still missing, and the manhunt continued. At 5 in the afternoon, there was yet another press conference where the detective superintendent from the NBI stated that the men deliberately targeted officials. At this point, the rumor mill had started, and there was speculation in the press that the shooters themselves had made the 112 call to lure the officers on the scene. The superintendent did not reveal anything about the identity of the suspects, only stating that from the police's perspective, the person who made the initial call was quote-unquote interesting. Finally, after intensive search efforts, the police were able to locate the suspects on Sunday evening. A dramatic pursuit started as officers chased the suspects heading from a city called Tambere in western Finland towards Ulojärvi. The two suspects fired several shots towards the police and even attempted to crash their vehicle into the patrol cars. Three police cars were damaged in the process. The chase ended near Tampere in Igarinen after 8.30 in the evening. The police had set up a spike belt on the road and the getaway car, a badly dented Volvo, stopped a few hundred meters after hitting the belt. The police managed to catch up to the men and ordered them to get on their knees on the side of the road. The men complied, and they were promptly arrested. The police soon confirmed the two arrested men were indeed those suspected of the shooting. They were brothers Raymond Anthony Granholm and Ricard Nicolas Granholm who had spent some of their childhood and youth in Porvo in southern Finland, before moving to Sweden. Both had Swedish citizenship, but the older brother, Rikard, also had Finnish citizenship. Rikard also had several previous run-ins with the Swedish police. He had been driving without a license on several different occasions, and in 2013, 
he was caught driving under the influence. There was cocaine as well as a type of steroid found in his blood. Only a few days later, he was caught driving without a license and under the influence again, this time having consumed alcohol. Earlier in 2012, he had also been found guilty of violent resisting of an official. On Wednesday, the 28th of August, the NBI requested that the Eastern Osima District Court order the brothers to be imprisoned. The court granted the request and ordered both Raymond Anthony Granholm, 25 years old, and his older brother, Ricard Nicolas Granholm, 30 years old, to be remanded for trial suspected on probable cause of two counts of attempted murder. Charges would have to be filed at the latest on the 24th of January in 2020. The case went to court in September of 2020, where the Granholm brothers were accused of 13 counts of attempted murder, one count of aggravated robbery, one count of taking a hostage, one count of violent resisting of an official, eight counts of causing danger, one firearms offense, and one count of aggravated endangering of traffic safety. The prosecution was requesting that both be sentenced to 13 years in prison without the possibility of parole, a so-called combination punishment. This would mean they would have to serve their entire sentence in prison and afterwards be subjected to surveillance for one more year. Ordering such a sentence required that the defendants be found dangerous to other people's lives and safety, as it is meant for extremely dangerous reoffenders only. Due to this request, the prosecution was also demanding that the brothers be sent for a psychiatric evaluation during which a danger assessment would also be completed. According to the prosecution, the Granholm brothers had intentionally lured officers to the scene by making two fake calls to the emergency exchange. The prosecution stated that they were already intending to rob the first patrol car which attended the gravel pit for the reported mass fight. For some reason, they did not go through with this plan, but instead called a second time, reporting a theft. According to the prosecution, there was a clear intention to kill when the two officers first attended the scene. For one, the older brother, Ricard, had shot the younger officer even as he was clearly backing off from the situation. He was hit in the arm. Secondly, the brothers continued firing at the senior constable during his attempt to escape, even after he had fallen on the ground once and got up again. The special prosecutor in this case, Yokohaviso, 
stated that it was, quote, cowardly to shoot the senior constable in the back. The officer was completely defenseless in the situation with his back turned to the two brothers. The brothers had even kept shooting until they ran out of bullets. Both the officers were still suffering from health issues as well. Since bullets were fired right next to his ear, the senior constable had tinnitus. The younger officer, the police sergeant, had had his arm operated multiple times because of the gunshot wound. It was possible that there was some kind of permanent damage to his arm. The prosecution argued that the kind of protective gear the officers were wearing and the patrol car's standard of equipment did not matter when evaluating the case from the point of view of attempted murder. The prosecution was maintaining that the brothers' intention was in fact to murder police officers. According to the prosecution, the events of that night alone were sufficient in this case to find the brothers extremely dangerous. As for the first emergency call about the mass fights, the defense argued that the brothers were only trying to test the police and see how they would react in such a situation. The brothers themselves both denied that there was an intention to kill the officers who attended the scene of the fake robbery, and thus they were not guilty of the 13 attempted murder charges. They did admit to being on the scene and shooting towards the officers, but according to their defense, the shots fired by Ricard against the younger officer were only meant to get him to back off. The intent was to stop him from shooting the brothers with his own gun. The defense argued that the younger officer had threatened to shoot on several different occasions and thus the brothers had reason to believe he might go through with this. As for the senior constable, Ricard allegedly panicked when he refused to give up his gun. Ricard feared he would manage to free himself. From then on out, the situation escalated and shots were fired. The defense called this quote a careless temporary measure. The constable was hit in the core and was wearing protective gear, which, according to the defense, meant that death was not a likely outcome. The shots were only meant to stop the officer. Similarly, the shots fired during the escape were meant to stop the police from following the brothers. 
The defense argued that they were only intending to hit the vehicles, and the police officers themselves were not in danger. More specifically, they were aiming for the motors and trying to damage them in order to make the patrol cars impossible to drive. The brothers did admit to being guilty of aggravated robbery, having stolen a gun from the two officers who initially responded to the emergency call. The older brother, Ricard, also admitted to two counts of aggravated assault. Besides this, they had not cooperated during the preliminary investigation and were using their right to remain silent. They were not going to testify during the trial, which meant their motives would most likely remain in the dark. They were also against the psychiatric evaluation. Their defense argued that they did not have a criminal history that would call for such a punishment. In the end, the court rejected the prosecutor's appeal to send the brothers to a psychiatric evaluation. The court found that there was nothing in the case alluding to them not being criminally responsible for their actions. Thus, the Eastern Uzima District Court delivered its verdict without the results of the evaluation in November of 2020 sentencing both Ricard and Raymond Granholm to 15 years in prison, the maximum possible punishment for these crimes. The court followed for the most part the prosecution's demands. However, it dismissed the prosecution's request of a so-called combination punishment. The court sided with the defense on this one, finding that the brothers did not have the type of criminal history that was required in the law in order to sentence them in this manner. They did not have any prior serious convictions, and on top of that, the case at hand took place during 24 hours only. Thus meant that being first-timers, the brothers would most likely walk free after serving only half of their sentence. 31-year-old Ricard Granholm was found guilty of 11 counts of attempted murder, among other charges, while 26-year-old Raymond Granholm was sentenced for 9 counts of attempted murder. The court found that there was not enough evidence to sentence Raymond for the two attempted murders of the police officers who first attended the scene. He did shoot, but it was unclear where. It was Ricard who fired the shots hitting the younger officer in the arm and the senior constable in the upper body. The brothers' original plan had been robbery only, the court stated, and thus, Raymond could not be held criminally responsible for his older brother's decision to shoot in a fast-paced situation, as he could not have had influenced this decision. During the escape, 
Ricard had also fired shots at the patrol cars pursuing them while Raymond was driving. Nonetheless, Raymond was still found guilty of several counts of attempted murder as a partner in crime in these instances. The court ordered the brothers to pay a large amount of compensation to the two injured officers. The other police officers involved in the pursuit, as well as the state treasury for the care of the two injured officers and the Helsinki police for the damages on the patrol cars. The total amount came up to over 150,000 euros. Most of this fell on the older brother, Richard Granholm. Both the prosecution and the brothers reported that they were dissatisfied with the ruling. This means the case will be processed again in the Court of Appeals. While the appeals process went forward, Ricard and Raymond Granholm were subsequently sent to two different prisons. Ricard would be in Wanda, while Raymond was sent to Jokela. The Court of Appeals has yet to give out a ruling on this case. I will keep you updated on any new developments. Thank you so much for listening to the 84th episode of True Crime Finland, Crime Stories from the Cold North. I want to thank Madeline, Dauno and Diana for becoming new patrons. If you too would like to support the show, you can do that on Patreon, where you can donate as little as $2 a month and in return, Get exclusive access to ad-free and early episodes and other rewards. Visit the page at patreon.com slash truecrimefinland. Art is by Mark Bernyam and music is Night by Vivius Music. You can contact me via email at truecrimefinlandpod at gmail.com. There is a Facebook group called True Crime Finland Podcast. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram at TC underscore Finland. You can find all my episodes on my websites at truecrimefinland.squarespace.com or wherever you get your podcasts.